Welcome to Teach Em Up, the podcast about teaching and learning. Today, we are talking to Melissa Havel, a science teacher at San Marin High School, about expanding your classroom and maintaining a positive work-life balance. Melissa, what's good? Um, life is good, Nick. Life is good. When we're engaged in positive teaching, uh, life is great. Um, okay, so before we jump in, mm-hmm. I was hoping that you could give us a little bit of background into how you got into teaching, okay. how long you've been teaching, and kind of what your educational teacher journey has been. Um, well, I've had a long, um, winding path to get to my current teaching uh job. Uh-huh. Um, Many great teachers do. <laughs> and so I actually, after college, I went to Japan for a year and taught English um, to junior high students, but I was hired by my hometown of Yuba City, California, um, sent me to Fujishiro, Japan. Home of the honkers. Home of the honkers. Yuba City. Uh, ended up, yeah, teaching there for a year. And after that, I actually worked um, for a learning company teaching children how to read in Santa Barbara and Maui. They sent me to Maui um, as well. After I did that, I... Was this, was this related to the Japan thing? No, and completely unrelated. Okay. Um, just got done with the Japan. It was a one-year contract. Um, actually flew to Thailand after I got done teaching in Japan. Met a couple friends there where I got certified to scuba dive. Nice. Which uh, has played a huge role in my life since then. Um, then, yeah, ended up working for a learning company for about a year in Santa Barbara and Maui and decided to try something different and got a job working for Fish and Game at, oh. in Fort Bragg, where I did still had research for okay. a year. And that's in Northern California. In Northern California. On the Coast. Beautiful town. Absolutely yeah. loved Fort Bragg. Um, loved working for Fish and Game. Um, I also then, through contacts with Fish and Game, I ended up working as an environmental educator at a uh, school that was uh, centered at McCarricker Park. Mm -hmm. And so it was sixth grade outdoor ed. The kids would come um, on Monday. We would have our groups where we take them hiking in various ecosystems, uh, tide pools, sand dunes, redwood forest. Uh, It's probably the best job I ever had. Uh, My favorite job, anytime I look back on it. I did that on and off. It's a temporary job, so in between times I would travel. So my 20s, most of the time I... I worked in order to save enough money to go traveling. And so the summers and winters, I would take off and travel um, all over the world. Nice. Up- <laughs> so it sounds like you really started as a out-of-classroom educator. Yes. Like yeah. you were doing education pieces, but they weren't traditional classroom teaching pieces. No, I was combining... Um, like my passion for the outdoors and science Mm -hmm. um, with jobs that allowed me to also fulfill my love of travel. And so I was kind of like cobbling together a path, if you will. Yeah. Um, Ended up wanting, um, finding a job as a, working as a dive master in the Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean. Okay. And so working for the School for Field Studies, which has, um, they take college students um, abroad for a semester to study some type of topic. Ours was marine resource management. Okay. So the kids, um, in the Turks and Caicos, there's quite a few areas of marine protected reserves. So I was supervising students um, as they did their studies and their field work in the Caribbean uh, underwater. Sounds rough. <laughs> it was a hard one. Yeah. Um, but I still, I wasn't um, certified as a teacher. I just had my degree from UCSB in ecology and evolution. Um, I loved education, but I also uh, loved wine making and the wine business. And so I decided to take a 180 degree turn at that point, And I moved to Napa. 
Okay. And I got a job at um, in a vineyard, a winery there, first in their tasting room. And then I spent a year in the vineyard working, um, learning all about the grapes and growing grapes. It was all organic and biodynamic. And then I spent a year in the cellar actually learning how to make the wine and all the chemistry that went into winemaking. Um, so I did that, worked a couple years at another job, um, also in the wine business and gardening, before deciding that it was time to get my teaching credential and um, look for a teaching job, a more traditional classroom job. Wow. So, <laughs> so what, what made that obvious to you that it was time to get your credential? Uh, for me, I loved I loved the wine business and I loved gardening. I was working as a gardener at a very beautiful estate. Um, but I just felt like I wasn't giving back to um, our society the way I could. Like mm-hmm. I was making really nice wine that was really expensive for a very small group of people. And uh-huh. same thing, I was gardening and making flower arrangements for like a very, very lovely people. But at the same time, like my passion was always for trying to make a more positive impact on the planet and on our world. And I just felt unfulfilled Yeah. at the end of the day. So I, as much as fun as I had traipsing around, hiking and collecting flowers all day, I didn't really feel like I was contributing positively to our world. Um, so th- I decided that the best way for me to do that was to go back into education and get my credential and see how I can make a positive um, difference from the classroom. And so far, so good? So far, so good. I uh, got my t- credential at Dominican. I went to school at night and taught. My first two years, I taught in San Francisco um, at a high school there and then moved up to Marin. And it's my 10th year teaching now, uh, eighth year with Novato Unified um, teaching uh, here in Novato. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and what kind of classes do you teach? Um, I teach biology and marine biology. So right now I'm teaching the STEM bio program where I see the kids for two hour sections at a time. So we do a little bit more intensive um, stuff that requires that we can use that extra time in the classroom together. And then the marine bio class is actually what brought me to San Marin in the first place when the current marine biology teacher retired. Um, I moved over here about six years ago and uh, been happy here ever since. Yeah, we've been lucky to have you. Uh, So one of the things that I have noticed is that you um, are a passionate person and you tend, like some passions, really last through your entire life. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like you have a a passion for environmental stewardship, um, for doing right by the planet and making sure that we are uh, caring for our planet and doing the right thing outdoors. Um, and then other passions come and go. There was a passion for chicken raising oh. for a very short period of time yeah. until you realized that the chickens tore up absolutely every living thing and plant in the backyard, mm-hmm. and that went away. Um, so um, how does that kind of like passion and drive play into your classroom experience? Um, I, I like to explore a lot of different areas. Um, I get bored easily and I like to stay (laughs) busy and so I think that's um, with everything like with for instance right now I'm really into my new electric bicycle Uh Um, but I bring that into the classroom I've told the kids like the process I went through how I was trying to decide what I was going to get for a second car but I was really feeling conflicted about purchasing something new with the amount of resources that takes up and also with the use of fossil fuel because we've been talking a lot about climate change in our classes 
so I mean the kids kind of kind of went through with that whole process with me and then we talked about like potentially I would get a motorcycle and what that meant and we talked about safety and my ideas for having a Vespa so I really I kind of bring like you know at the beginning of the day as we're I'm chatting with the students um, and in different classes different snippets but we kind of just like work through the issue like as I was telling them about it so they're kind of seeing the thought process of why I've decided on an electric bicycle and some of my reasons for it and once I brought it in this week I showed the students and they were really fired up on it and thought it was fun and tell me they see me around town all the time like riding my bike or my bicycle and I think it's just it's a cool way to get the students just thinking about a different form of transportation since most of my kids are getting their permits right now Um, Mm. so I'm trying to give them some ideas that like you don't just have to get a car like there's other things you could do there's other choices you can make um more affordable choices even yeah. I think because um, you don't have to deal with the insurance piece and uh-huh. so I don't know I'm just trying to affordable <laughs> environmentally friendly fun yeah um, and we live in a pretty temperate climate mm-hmm. like it'll get chilly yeah and we'll have a few days of rain um, it'd be nice if we got a few more days of rain especially as we're getting yeah. into like late October and fire season in California mm-hmm. but um, we live in a pretty pleasant place and a nice place to be outside and to bike all the time and what even when it gets cold we're down in like the upper 30s um, so put a pair of gloves on and you're good we're really lucky to have the options we do here and I definitely couldn't have my plan to bike ride every day if I was living in like Minnesota or someplace much colder where there's snow and ice on the roads like I know living in California it's um, a luxury that I get to, to bike every day to work and um, there's also camaraderie like the students that bike we talk about like oh that was a cold ride in this morning and I'm just trying to incur like talk get that discussion like away from just that we all had to drive our cars and um, it's been really fun with the students so yeah as I find different interests or something like I think it's fun to bring it into the classroom I've done the same with sailing and got the kids excited about that and I've talked about my travels every once in a while just so they know there's lots of different paths you can take in life to get you where you're going uh-huh and as somebody who eats lunch with you on a pretty regular basis I love seeing what the new passion is and then trying to predict how long this one's gonna last yeah. Um, and some of them are lifelong. Some of them. Um, yeah so I I love you bring a s- tremendous energy and enthusiasm uh, to, you know, teacher meetings <laughs> and to the classroom generally. Thank you. Okay, so our general topic today mm-hmm. is expanding the scope of your classroom. Yes. Uh, and it seems like you expand the scope of your classroom in a few really cool ways. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with your biology classes uh, in terms of taking them outdoors and getting beyond the four walls of your classroom? Um, yeah, so I think one of the most difficult things that I have faced as a teacher is being stuck in a classroom all day. Like I hate coming to work in the morning when it's beautiful out and not leaving my classroom usually until three o'clock in the afternoon and not even realizing what the weather was all day. Uh I think it's like, it's such a shame. Like we live in such a beautiful place, especially our school here at San Marin, surrounded by the hills and hiking um, paths as we are. Yeah. And especially our classrooms, we have like two four square foot windows for a grand total of maybe eight square feet of window Mm -hmm. for our thousand plus foot classroom, square foot classroom. Um, And our windows look out at another building. Uh, So we really are in like little dark caves. Yeah. So I really, that's like I said, it's the hardest thing for me as a teacher is being in the room all day. And so I was thinking back to experiences I had as um, a student, both in high school and college. And I would say the two most meaningful experiences were when I had to do research projects, long-term research projects that I carried out. 
And I wanted to try to bring that to my biology class here at San Marin. And so we are doing um, a field research project is what we're calling it. And I have students in groups of three or four. And every Tuesday we walk over to our open space next to the school and the students are doing some type of study, long-term study, where it could be creek levels and erosion. It might be one group is studying invertebrates and they look up the rocks in a certain section uh, square footage of area every week I have students following the leaf color changes and then they'll study bud bloom to look at um, phenological data um, to see if we can tie that into climate change so we have all sorts of um, projects that we're doing and it's a chance just to get the kids out of the classroom just trying to think about the scientific method in a different way and actually mm-hmm. I you know from from what I've seen so far it took a while, just like any scientific project, there was lots of trial and error, like what our topic was gonna be, which I think was really valuable for the students because a lot of times in class, we're just given the lab, we're given, it's one day, we're done. Um, but they had to process and think through what their question was gonna be, and now they're actually been implementing their studies, and they really, some of them are really passionate about it, which is pretty awesome to see. Yeah, so you're running a full year long study, mm-hmm. a scientific study, and the students are going outside at least once a week uh, and gathering data. And they were also in charge of designing their study, coming up with their own problem question, uh, selecting their own hypothesis, determining what procedure they were gonna use, and figure out why is this relevant um, or valuable. And to give a little bit of context, uh, we're really lucky in that our school is surrounded by areas of open space. Mm Uh, and so we have a natural open space park across the street from us, um, and you take them on like a ongoing field trip. So every student has a field trip permission slip yes. that is signed, and the field trip permission slip just states every Tuesday. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I have before obviously before I um, instituted this project, I had to talk to the principal. So I came in over the summertime and spoke to our principal about my plan, um, and he was fine with that idea with of signing off on the idea of just having a year long permission slip where the kids we hike over together. So and then I also emailed all the parents at the start of school and said just so you understand like what you're signing. This is you know, my plan for the project. This is what your student's going to be doing. So I tried to make it really clear uh, what would be happening in the classroom and how it was tied to their learning for for the year. And we, wa- we walk across the street together. We kind of walk out of the classroom. We all wait. We all cross the street together. That's my thing. I try to not impede <laughs> the flow of traffic and get them hit by any cars. Um, 15-year-olds and 5-year-olds have the same uh, crossing the street rules. They all, they just... Everybody's got a buddy. We all hold hands. Kind of like that, where we just, we try to just meand- not meander across the street, but walk with purpose uh-huh. um, is my thing. Gather and cross together. Yes, because yeah. it's really annoying when you have teenagers, 32 of them, walking slowly across the street and holding up traffic. So we, we go very, out together. Very socially conscious of you. Yes, I try. Um, I don't want a bunch of complaints for the school to deal with. That's fair. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then they kind of have sites all over the open space. And so what I usually do is if there's a student, a group that needs more help than others, like I'll check in. We drop off the first group at the creek, a couple groups that are at the creek. The kids have, like like you said, like buddies. They, um, I told them they always have to stay together, usually with their three to four. There's always a group of at least four of them together if they're walking off to a, another site but I know where all their sites are 
at. And then through the course of the 45 minutes we're over there, I hike around to all the sites. And then we have a meeting point and a meeting time where we meet back up in the park and we walk back together. Um, except I do have one group that comes back early because they're doing microscope work. Uh-huh. And that's the one thing is like looking at microscopes um, on the side of the creek is a little difficult for them. So they do, their, little, yeah. <laughs> they do their water sampling and they uh, are, come back to the room. And I've let the uh, campus supervisors know about that too. Nice. So they have like a pipette. They take their sample of water, or they take a bucket. And vial. They a have bucket, vials, a yeah. vial, okay. And then they take their sample, bring it back to the classroom, and do the analysis yeah. of the water and the invertebrates that are in that water. In the classroom with the Under micro- a microscope. Yeah, because they're looking for organisms that are in the water, microscopic organisms. So that group does need to be in the classroom because um, their, their study takes you know, their sampling is about five minutes and then right. they were just sitting there bored. Um, uh-huh. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, it's it's hard. It's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Um, a lot of responsibility and the students, I've tried to impress upon them that it's a, a privilege that we get to be over there and that we really need to be safe and um, not do anything dangerous or make bad choices because anything that might jeopardize the opportunity to continue to do this cool field study work it's really important to me that they do it but at the same time like it is very stressful to me uh for me as when they're over there because there is there's a lot of you know there's not in the classroom the classroom's a really safe environment for them to be in it's but like I said I think getting outside is one of the most important things that they can do it's hard to teach them to be stewards of our planet and our land when they sit in the classroom all day and just stare at the wall so it's my way to try to get them outside and get them more in tune with nature and science yeah when they're sitting in the classroom you should try different teaching practices other than just (laughs) staring at the wall Um, I find that if you like give some instruction or have them do something then they're they're a touch more engaged I'm gonna try that next time yeah let's try yeah um, you could put something on the wall. They could read it. Uh, I don't know. Just just a couple thoughts. Thanks. Yeah. I'll, I'll try. Just here to help. See what I can do. Um, so it sounds like the positive part is that students are really driving their own instruction and learning. Yes. And it's within a scope of students knowing what they're trying to discover, or mm-hmm. not exactly what they'll discover, but the process that they're going through. So they're learning scientific method. They're mm-hmm. learning about you know our science and engineering practices how to ask a really good question, um, how to design a procedure, how to gather data, how to analyze data, how to make a claim based on evidence. So all those things that we want them to learn as scientists, Mm -hmm. um, but they're doing it in a real world context that has validity and that one that they've selected so that they have a ton of buy-in to it. That was my hope, is that by choosing their project and letting them kind of drive uh, their question, that they would you know, want to go out there every week and they, they cared about what they were doing. Um, we're also starting next week going to add on a component where they have to read a scientific journal article as part of their weekly uh, practice. So even though that's an indoor thing, it's a way to like, we're, I keep trying to layer on the project to make it, keep it interesting and keep them engaged with it. So in addition to their research, they'll be reading journal articles on various ecosystems and scientific methods. So they get more experience that way, reading um, scientific articles with the idea that they'll be writing their own. So at the conclusion of this project, they're going to write up their um, their project in a paper, like they were submitting it to Nature, and then um, also give a symposium um, and present their findings. That's super exciting. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then those are those articles that they're reading. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that those are related to the research piece that they're doing. So if I'm doing 
leaf color changes, then I might look at something about certain trees and how leaves are, or photosynthesis is working or what pigments are in different times of year. Yeah, I was going to try to hit all the different topics since I what the kids are studying and then, and yeah, have the article, knowing what they're studying and their research topics would drive what type of articles I'll find for them. And I'm just, we'll see how, that's the newest addition to the the project that we're starting. Nice. So that's a really valid, like, obtain, evaluate, and communicate information mm-hmm. um, on a relevant topic yes. that's valid. Cool. Yeah, that's okay. The, so, I mean, it seems, hope. yeah, <laughs> it seems like a spectacular opportunity for the students. Um, yeah. Possible downsides. Mm-hmm. Like, so A, I believe we should just spend more time outside. Yeah. I think it's tremendously therapeutic. I think that kids learn more when they're having fun. Kids learn more when they're active, but human beings, not just mm-hmm. kids. Um, and we learn more and are more engaged when we feel like we have control of our situation. Yeah. Um, with that said, I could see other people having a possible concern around like, well, aren't you just taking the kids out and then they're wandering around in the wilderness? Like, mm-hmm. it's great that they're outside, where are they actually doing the learning part? How do you actually keep them on track? Yeah. Well, they have data. So they have to collect data every week. And we have a shared document where I can see their data every week. So I'm seeing that they're actually doing what they say they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we check in with that. So, I mean, I've, yeah, they definitely are out um, so hiking. But but there's check-ins. Like So the idea is that they have told me how they're collecting data. Then I see it. And then if I see that someone isn't ad- doing data, like hasn't added their data to the list, I, you know, I check in with them. But when I'm out there, I'm actually... I see every group every time. Yeah. Like I make a point. I've actually was thinking about bringing my mountain bike so I can get to the groups twice during the 45 minutes. Because if I can mountain bike around, I can uh-huh. stop, check in, and keep going. And then, then they never know when Miss Havel's going to pop up and find him. <laughs> You're like a jack in the box. I know. I'm just like, surprise, Miss Havel's behind I'm here. <laughs> what data so do you have? I'll keep them on their toes that way. So that's kind of what I was, that was my next plan too, is just to try to get to them twice during that time. But um, I love that. So there's, there's yeah. like a, a you know, there's a check-in piece yeah. where like at the end of these 45 minutes, you have to have this type of numerical data yeah. or, you know, taken these measurements or whatever. And they've decided what measurements they're taking, what data they're taking. Um, and then it sounds like you've also guided them through this process of like having a specific question that they're addressing. They are. And I forgot to mention the other thing they're doing is they're trying, most of the groups have figured out a way to add some type of citizen science component. So I wanted their data to give back to an ongoing project. And so a lot of them have a piece where um, their data, like I have a fungi group that's like their data is like going to contribute to somebody's research on that or you know, there's just, there's so many apps out there where the kids can share their data. The Phenological Society has um, a whole project around color change so the kids can share their data that way. So, Phenological Society is like leaves and stuff? Phenological is the, um, it's, the National Phenology Project is all about uh, changes in ecosystems um, and how that is driven, like how climate changing how climate change is impacting that. Mm-hmm. And so like leaf color change is a huge one that they look for. That's why we got the, all these leaf color change and bud break in the spring. So like it's all about monitoring. Yeah, what's going on. So if you have the leaves changing color much earlier or much later, you're mm-hmm. looking at some type of seasonal change. And I mean, the first year is obviously like not climate change related, it's just weather. And then right. over time you can, you know, if we see long-term trends and we can attribute it more to a climate change that's causing these earlier bud breaks or different leaf change times and so there's a whole project um 
that is ongoing on the internet about that as well. So the kids, I'm trying to get them to also see the bigger picture and give back. I was trying to, I met with uh, the city of Nevada before school started to try to figure out a way we could work with them too, because in my opinion, um, you know, we're, we're a nice community here at school, but we also are part of our larger community of Novato. And, mm-hmm. and I really am trying to get the kids to be engaged in what's going on in our town as well. And so these projects get us outside of the classroom and thinking hopefully ways we can contribute to bigger, bigger projects. Right. We opened talking about how you got into teaching to try to make a more positive impact in the world, yeah. building that like greater good drive. Mm-hmm. And now you're helping pass that on to your students about how they can both produce their own research, publish it, and also contribute to a longer-term ongoing project that benefits the city. Yes. Yeah, hopefully. Like, city, county, state, like, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, right. And I try to bring in local, like, you know, students that are their age that are doing, that started with small projects like that, like the boy who did the ocean cleanup. I think he was 17 when he started that company, and now uh-huh. he has a company based out of Alameda right now going out to the ocean to try to figure out how to remove some of the trash that's out there. So, I mean, these projects can start small and just notice one thing and have a huge impact. And that's what I try to get across to them. That is so cool. (laughs) All right. So um, let's use that as a Mm -hmm. transition. Um, Another way that you kind of open up your classroom um, is through the use of field trips. And I know that one that the students are just always buzzing about is your marine biology class uh, goes on a sailing field trip in the spring. Yes. Um, So what's the impetus for that? What do they gain out of that? Why? Why? What is it? Um, well, it started just as a way. So many of my students, even though we live pretty close to San Francisco Bay, have never actually been on a boat on the bay. So they're I think setting the edge of Novato actually touches yeah. San Francisco. Oh, bay. it does, and they and we're see it. Thirty minutes from San Francisco, the city. But it's it's not an easy bay to get out on, and there's mm-hmm. sense that there's it's cold, there's wind, there's waves. Like it's not you can't just take your little rowing boat out there and feel safe. Like so, a lot of kids have never been out on the bay. It's not uh-huh. an easily accessible place for a lot of students. Um, and yeah. so marine, they might have driven over the bay the on a bridge. bridge. Yeah, they've seen the bridges. Um, they've hiked on the headlands a lot uh-huh. of times. But I will say, I I was shocked when I was a summer camp counselor. Mm-hmm. We did a hike from the summer camp out to the ocean. Um, and this was with like eight to 12 year olds from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number of kids who had never seen the ocean blew me away. Yeah. Kids growing up in Oakland, kids growing up in Richmond, and they're like, no, I've never seen the ocean. Oh, yeah. Like, it's huge. Yeah. It's like, whoa, you live so close. I never make it. And you never made it 10 miles to see the ocean. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I found that that was the case when I taught in San Francisco, that a lot of kids had never even been to Golden Gate Park. Yeah, they're surrounded would, on three sides yeah, by water. It's crazy. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the main, that was a driving focus for me. Like once I realized kids hadn't been out there, um, and I have a passion for sailing. So sailing is something I've done for a while. Um, and I love being out on the bay. It's something that really, it's my, one of my favorite things to do. And so I wanted to figure out a way to get these kids that were studying marine biology in this beautiful area of our country um, out on the bay. So I started researching trips and um, found a sailing charter where it's an 82-foot steel schooner that we go out on. 
and they do educational type projects. Schooner, sorry, schooner, schooner. schooner is such a great word. <laughs> yeah, right. I just I just want to note that's a beautiful word. <laughs> it's a beautiful boat, and they actually have a bigger boat that um, potentially we might be going out. They've built a wood ship um, with entirely um, environmentally friendly. It's all battery powered. Uh-huh. Uh, electrical engine wow uh, so we'll see what what we can go out in the spring if we get the grants that yeah. i applied for um boats have a lot of great words they yacht do. they do a cht at the end mm. i know satisfying <laughs> uh anyway uh now that we've gone into my own little uh, consonant space uh <laughs> you were saying the so you're going to be going out on this boat yeah, we started the first year that I started working here. Um, I asked the principal if I could do a field trip, and he agreed if I could raise the funds. Um, it's a fairly expensive trip. I want to say it's about a hundred dollars a student. So Ooh. that's obviously like it's. I can't. I don't want to individually but ask for that. Much luckily, money. you've only got like one hundred and fifty students, right? Yeah. So no so problem, right? One hundred and fifty times a hundred. You just got to raise fifteen grand. Yeah. So the first year, um, I we wanted to do this in. I did not apply for any grants, but instead we fundraised the whole year. And okay. so my first year, we were having rummage cells. My whole back of my classroom was um, ready for a rummage cell at one point, like full of toys and clothes. And we'd have tarps over everything, and I'd teach around I, all the rummage I remember cells. that year when you were a trash person. <laughs> yeah, yes, we had everything. Yeah. And the, we spent a whole weekend. I spent a lot of time with those kids. It was a lot of fun, actually, uh-huh. um, raising a, money. That's a lot of chocolate chip cookies to sell. They did. They worked hard. And we actually raised all the funds somehow. And, I mean, parents contributed, of course. But uh-huh. the kids kids did a ton of work to make the trip happen um after that like and then I saw what a valuable experience it was out on the bay mm-hmm. but there had to have been an easier way to, to actually get them out there so I've started applying for grants which I did um, for quite a few years and I did again this year um because it is it's magical when you go out there and you have whales it's right during humpback whales time that we usually go out there in April and uh-huh. so I would say about a third of the groups have seen whales, um, and it's usually right when I'm teaching marine mammals. So it, oh, that's exciting! It kind of works perfectly, right? Um, and just getting the kids. Lots of times, they'll take the kids under the Golden Gate Bridge, and that's uh-huh. such an epic moment to sail under the bridge and sail back in, and just seeing the bay and Marin from the water is something pretty special. And a lot of kids tell me it's the best thing they've done in high school. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of magical. It is. Um, so what is the, is, is like other than inspiring them mm-hmm. and like now you have been on the bay, yeah. is there a learning outcome that you're kind of looking for? Yeah. So when they're on the trip, it's actually the company that we, they educate, it's an educational nonprofit. So the whole trip is based around education. So it's not just a, a party cruise out on the bay, which I think the kids would be totally fine with. They're always asking me like, do we have to do stations? Yes. Like it is a learning <laughs> environment. We are learning kids. Learning it is not a party cruise. Um, so uh, we do. It's actually, they, they, they run it really well. And I always talk every year to the people that run the program and talk about what I want to focus on. But um, we'll do plankton, we'll net for plankton, and then they have oh, microscopes nice. tied up on the boat there, okay. and the kids look at plankton or plastics. Uh-huh. Um, so we talk about plastics in the water, oh, like micropla- mi- microplastics. So they'll huh. talk about microplastics. Uh, so we can kind of You can actually like find it. those and see yeah. those pulling a water sample uh, yeah. out of the bay. Yeah. Oh, wild. And so we, they, we kind of every year change it up a bit. Um, the kids learn about navigation. And then the marine mammal piece is usually a huge piece. And any seabirds or any sea life that we see out there, mm-hmm. um, that's, I mean, that's our main focus. In addition to just, I, I honestly think that it's valuable just being outside on the water. Yeah. Um, and and those, having an, that experience. And it seems like those four or five hours that you spend on the water 
um, like that gives buy-in for students Mm -hmm. for what, like 80 hours of class time? It feels like it. I mean, and then you can also just like talk about, refer to that experience and what Mm -hmm. it was like. So it's, I mean, it's totally different when you're like, oh, remember when we saw that whale and you, do you remember the blowhole and how, you know, it's like now it's like, oh, hey, when we saw this together, uh, then when I teach about marine mammals, it's like, you know, it's exciting. They've seen it. They, you know, they have a place to, that they're learning from. Yeah. You've got a shared experience. You've got a, um, so it sounds like tremendous learning and engagement piece Mm -hmm. there. Um, but a ton of work on your part. Oh, it's an immense amount of work. Uh, just even after writing the grants is the easiest part. Um, organizing, we have to use parent drivers because of the way our bus system, um, the hours and the constraints we have. So we, I have to organize all the parent drivers and chaperones. Um, and it, yeah, just getting the kids out of class and then taking, I always drive the van myself full of kids. And so it's it's a lot of work, but I do it because I think it's really worth it at the end. And it's also a chance, a lot of times the students, like, we end up having different conversations that we would in the classroom and talking about, like, oh, you know, something, talking about science or talking about life in a way that I don't have a, that opportunity in the classroom. And that type of experience, I think, is really important, too, for the kids to know that, you know, Ms. Havel's interested in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this, like, shared time together on the boat. And I don't know, it just it tends to make the class feel more cohesive, and I feel like the kids really um, feel... No, I can't. No, you've got a shared experience and you're building a more positive relationship between students and enhancing their learning and their desire to care in class. Yeah. Um, I mean, it feels like there's a ton of really good reasons to go on a field trip. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at high school, though, it's just the logistics get in the way. Yeah. We get so worried about, like, oh, I got to pull my kids out of these other classes. Oh, and then the other teachers see me in the copy room and give me grief. Uh Oh, you were out on the boat today. Yeah, you know, too bad my kids missed, you know, whatever class it was. And right. so I, yeah, all I have to deal with that for about a week or two usually and lots of eye rolls and sighs from certain, certain right. teachers. Well, and tough for you too, because <laughs> um, the boat does not hold 150 students. No. So you have to take them in groups of 30, right? Yeah. You take one class period at a time mm-hmm. um, and then run through every class period. Yeah. And so you're out for five days um, yeah. or a teacher is out for five days. Yeah. Um, you're now spreading that to the other marine so biology other teachers. teachers. So you have one section of marine bio, yeah. and then other teachers are going to take their marine bios on this trip that you Hopefully. have started and organized. If we get the grants, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, I'm that's the making... best part of my job, though, so I don't. I never mind being out to go sailing all day. Yeah. Speaking of being <laughs> sailing all day, um, you have just come back from a kind of exciting year. Yes. Uh, so I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about work-life balance. Okay. Um, because one of the things that I kind of repeat to myself over and over again, my mantra, is I love teaching. And it's accurate. Mm-hmm. I do. I love teaching. But teaching can also be really draining yeah. and really emotionally taxing. Um, because you are, as you're trying to make a positive difference in the world, you are heavily invested in the lives of 150 of your students and you want the absolute best for them and you are doing a ton to make that happen. Yeah. Um, so how do you manage that work-life balance component? Um, how do you keep yourself sane? Uh, because another thing that I kind of have in the back of my head is when I was student teaching, um, I had an awesome mentor teacher, uh, Susan Jellema, and um, one of the things that she told me was I would rather be a great teacher for 35 years 
than a perfect teacher for two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea there being like, you could be excellent and put 150% of yourself in, but you're going to burn yourself out and you'll end up leaving the profession. Yeah. And there's something about putting 95% of yourself in and making sure that you have some degree of sanity outside the job and being able to keep doing it for 35 years that provides a greater good than a real quick flash in the pan spark and then not being able to continue. No, I think that was great advice that your mentor teacher gave you because it's true. Like you could, I could do go home and spend hours at night planning new lessons and grading papers, and and I do spend some time. But at the same time, like work life balance is really important to me. And so at the end of the day, like I really, my goal is usually to work really hard during the week and get everything done that I need to do so that I can have the entire weekend off and spend mm. that focused on my family. So my um, focus and the evenings, I always have dinner we always have dinner we sit down to dinner together every night mm-hmm. and um, that's really important to me as well but m- my weekends are kind of like my sacred time with my family so my goal all week long is to get all the paper corrected that I need to correct um, figure out how to make that happen so that when Friday comes around I can just focus on activities with my friends and family um, and really make that the focus and then on Monday I feel I return more refreshed than feeling like I corrected papers all weekend or I you know, plotted. And and I can do that now after 10 years of teaching. Like that Mm -hmm. wasn't always as easy when I first started out teaching. There was a lot more weekend time needed. Um, Now I feel like I'm at the point where I can, I have the lessons developed and I'm adding to them over time, but I'm not reinventing anything at this point. Right. And I think that's, you know, setting yourself some rules. Mm -hmm. Um, I do the same thing around like when am I allowed to work and when am I not allowed to work makes you a heck of a lot happier. Yeah. Um, I have a similar rule, like no work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that weekend time is family time. But I am willing to stay really late on Friday. Mm-hmm. Like my weekend won't start until, I don't know, 6 p.m. maybe on Friday so that I can get absolutely everything finished before I leave. Yeah. And then when I leave and I shut the door, it's left at school. I mean, obviously, I'm yeah. still taking home and waking up in the middle of the night with some of my student problems. Yeah. But uh, the physical stuff, mm-hmm. there was a few years there where I kept putting it in my bag and then throwing it in the trunk of my car <laughs> and then driving it back and forth to my house. Oh, yeah. And I never wanted to take it out of the trunk of my car, or I did, and then I just stared at it and felt bad about myself. Yeah. And I've realized that like I am much better if I just say, like, okay, I am working these hours, and my rule now is once I get home... I will not take work back out until my kids are asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can work starting at maybe 7.30 because yeah. my kids are pretty young and they go to bed early <laughs> and we have very strict bedtimes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm going to try to leave at 4.30 and 4.30 to 7.30 is family time and then maybe I bang some stuff out. Yeah. But as much as possible, I will come in early, I will stay late on certain days, mm-hmm. but I try to keep work at work. Yeah, no, so do I because I think it makes for – the rest of my weekend like a lot a lot better like that I can really focus on my family and what we're doing soccer mm-hmm. or sailing whatever yeah. activity um that we're doing instead of always in the back of my mind thinking about the work I should be correcting or feeling bad like you said like just feeling bad about yourself that you have this work that's sitting there in a pile in the corner of my house that I'm not uh-huh. dealing with so I don't even bring it like I try to get it all done so I don't even have to see it or think about it or just little tiny things mm-hmm. where um there was a while where I had my work email on my phone um, and then I was checking my work email all the time because yeah. I'm a mildly obsessive person. 
Um, but then I just always felt responsible for work. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel like I could really leave it because I would get an email and be like, oh, God, I got to figure out how to respond to this one. Yeah. And I realized it was so much healthier to say, you know what? That can wait for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And I took my work email off my phone. Um, and so now I will respond to emails when I get them. Mm-hmm. But that'll be at school. Yeah. Um, and I found that that's really helpful, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't check my work email over the weekend and everything is fine. There is <laughs> never thing. such an, like, it's not such an emergency yeah. that I have to have to. No, it's nothing is usually. Yeah. Uh, you can make a positive impact in the world and still not be 100% tied uh, oh, no. to that work. Well, and even to work or just to the phone in general, like, yeah. we have been talking about, my husband and I, about when we go places, just leaving our phone at home. Like, we don't uh-huh. even need it. Just, like, leaving leaving the phone, because he has a work phone and a personal phone now, and uh-huh. just leaving the phones. Yep. All of us just leave our phones at home when we go off to do something, because it's, like, truly, like, we really don't need right. our phones as much as we think we need Is, the, is this going to be helpful, or is it going to be a distraction? Yeah. Uh, and I was a late adopter of yeah, you were. phone technology. <laughs> Um, and so I, you know, didn't have a cell phone until I was 22 years old. Um, and then even then it was the candy bar phone that only made phone calls. Uh, so, you know, I got my first smartphone like two years, three, four years ago, three years ago. ago. It was not that long ago. Um, and I found that it's kind of toxic for me. Uh, it's, it's a distraction. It doesn't necessarily help with, um, being present and being my best self no, with, with the people that I love. No. Um, okay. So what else do you do on like your daily life balance to maintain a positive work-life balance? Um, so I just have a lot of interest outside of school. Uh-huh. Um, so things like we were talking about the environment, the bike, and um, just, you know, we just have a lot of hobbies. So in addition to, like, taking my son to practice sports practices, which I think lots of parents do, um, you know, I don't know. I've been really into home renovation, which sounds crazy, but, like, we've been doing a ton of work on our home. Um, sailing is a huge hobby and something that we do, especially now that soccer is getting over. We'll be sailing on the weekends again. Um, and so just getting – most of the things I do are outside. So just getting outside and hiking, running, anything uh-huh. that isn't – sitting down in my house is yeah a pretty and I mean I'd say like I would argue that's good for you yeah and it's also good for your practice as a teacher Mm -hmm. because really good teachers are curious people yeah and they're interesting people and you have to have something that you're curious about outside of the classroom yeah Um, and that will actually bleed into the classroom and give you some cool stuff to talk about in the classroom because every once in a while it's like, oh yeah, I was researching electric bikes and now I found out this cool information about electricity and battery storage and like how all that works. Yeah. Um, but there's also just a degree of like a curious person is a better teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to let yourself be a real person, not be, you know, the teacher that the students actually legitimately think sleeps behind their desk. Yeah. Um, there's a value of like seeing you in the community mm-hmm. and like, ah, you're a real person and like I have interests. Yeah. Um, so I think that actually makes you a better teacher is pursuing those interests. Well, I actually had a student this weekend. I was in an activity downtown 
and a student came up to me who's one of my favorite students of all time um, and she she was in between college and some changes had happened and she said like she kept thinking about what would Miss Havel say about this and like what would Miss Havel do um, because she said I was one of the only teachers that said like you didn't have to just go to college for four years and stay on that path or you didn't have to just get a job because I was always telling the students about traveling and that it was okay to be curious and mm-hmm. pursue your passions and if something didn't work out try something else like that's totally what I believe is that like not all of us have a plan and you have to stick to the plan but I think it's okay to take a lot of different paths to get to where you're meant to go yeah um, and so you the can, student you can let your life zigzag a little bit yeah zigzagging is fine taking a year off is fine like you it, it'll all work out and so I was talking to her and she was saying yeah that like she just really remembered all the times in class I talked about the traveling I had done and the adventures that I had had and that I didn't have to only work and that Mm -hmm. that was never my goal like at the end of the day was like being the hardest worker um but instead like that I had done all these other things and so she you know and she said like that that was the thing she kept coming back to is like oh Miss Havel said it'd be okay like Uh and so we talked and I mean it was amazing to see her and see how well she's doing um and I've had a couple of students that have reached out to me with similar stories that that have been speaking about these outside interests and passions and um, really helped them realize they didn't have to just stick to the script of, yeah. of life and what society tells them they have to do. Oh, that's spectacular. So. And I think there's more than one way to get into teaching and mm-hmm. to be a great teacher. Yeah. Because I found teaching at age 23. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty much, a, I'm a career teacher. <laughs> uh, I will hopefully retire with like 42, 45, 50 years of, of teaching experience if I'm still decent at it and they'll keep having me. Um, and, you know, my I did a mild zigzag, but it was about a year, right? I zigzagged for about a year, tried a couple things, and then found that teaching was what I loved. Mm-hmm. And your zigzag was more like 10 years. Um, and I think there's there's lots of ways to get to teaching, and oh. you can be a great teacher starting young and being a full career teacher, yeah. and you can be a great teacher starting later in life, um, yeah, and continuing to be excellent at it. Yeah, no, I definitely think there's a lot of ways to go about it, but I definitely think it's important. Like the student was saying, like that just not enough teachers talk about those outside interests, and right. so talking about those outside interests really helped her realize that like it was normal not to just you know, to do different things. Like it was, yeah. it was okay. And so I feel like bringing that outside in like was really valuable and, and um, important. And so that's definitely, that's why like I shared with them about whatever hobby I'm pursuing at the time. Like, uh-huh. I mean, when I was running marathons, I would talk about marathon running and the kids all knew what I was doing and how much I was running and they'd see me around town and, and those kind of things. Like, I think it's, it's fun for them to hear about different things. And the sailboat was a huge, huge thing for them to hear about. Yeah. Like going on a sabbatical. Yeah. As teachers, we shouldn't be working automate automatons, yeah. robots. Yeah. Um, we should be real human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned running. Yeah. And that is definitely one of the areas that like I find my work-life balance. Yeah. Um, I find that I am so much happier and so much uh, more well-balanced when I'm running. Uh, are running consistently. Mm-hmm. So like I go through periods where I'm like, oh, I'm too busy. I can't fit it in. Um, and then I go through periods where I make it a priority and make sure that I fit it in. Yeah. Um, and we're lucky that we live in a place with like gorgeous trail systems and beautiful outdoors and we can run pretty much year round. Actually, not pretty much, 100% year round. Sometimes you'll be running in the rain, but I love running in the rain. Um, I love running on trails in the rain, getting a little bit muddy. Yeah. I like running in the summertime, uh, like picking 
picking the right times of day in the morning and, and the like right, and the the right trails yeah the summer. summertime you can get up to like 100 <laughs> yeah. 100 or so yeah so middle of the day is not ideal yeah but um you know and i find i also do some of my best thinking mm-hmm. and my best problem solving when i'm running yeah uh so right now i'm hitting like 30 35 miles a week um and that's like five days a week running Mm -hmm. Um, but when I go out on like a nice big run like a trail run and I'm going for you know 11 miles or whatever the first couple miles I'm thinking about running uh, and then you just kind of like let it go and I can kind of think through all of the other problems so like I end up composing song lyrics when I'm running mm-hmm. and then songs that I can bring into class or I end up coming up with new lessons or project ideas yeah um, and thinking about like field trip opportunities and like could I bring my kids out here how would I logistically do that um, so I feel like I solve a lot of problems as well as personal stuff mm-hmm. um, when I'm doing that running piece yeah. and I think having that outside interest and letting yourself pursue those things. And like you, I also am jazzed about home renovation and building stuff. I Like one summer, I yeah. built a shed out in the backyard, a little house thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, you know, putting new bookcases in and built-ins and, you know. So I think having those outside interests is a tremendously valuable piece. Yeah. Now, my first year teaching is the first year I decided to train for my first marathon, the San Francisco Marathon. And I would, seriously, I would run through the city and, like, have a new behavior management plan by uh-huh. the end of the run every time because it was as a new teacher that's usually what you struggle with the most classroom is that behavior. management and I would seriously solve every classroom problem until the next run uh-huh. <laughs> you know <laughs> and then I would have a new one to solve first year teacher classroom management yep. fixes are normally good for like a day or two yeah and then you need another run to figure out the next so problem it kind of was perfect that that was my first marathon training cycle was that first year teaching it uh-huh. really helped <laughs> right and it doesn't have to be running no. it's whatever it is that gives you the space to to think think and to be curious and to be an interesting person yeah all right the last piece that I wanted to talk about you uh, to talk with you about and you mentioned it in passing was the last year you have not been here no no where you been I was on a boat a sailboat so um I love sailing and love the ocean Uh and it's something that we had planned on doing Curtis and I first met your husband my husband uh 12 or 13 years ago, we, uh, one of our first, not one of our first dates, but about a couple months in, um, he took me out sailing and we talked at the time about like, oh, he's like, wouldn't it be great to sail, um, like go on an extended sailing trip? I'm like, yeah, I'm in. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd only read books about sailing at this point. I didn't have really any practical understanding of sailing, but I'd read a lot of books about sailing around the world. Um, so we, we got a small sailboat and we sailed in San Francisco Bay and really enjoyed it. Um, and just kind of talked, batted around ideas about how we could maybe take a year off, get a bigger boat, and go a little further than San Francisco. And so we, we sat down and made a five-year plan to make it happen and really, really worked hard at it as our goal and just learned a ton about sailboats, practiced sailing our, our boat. We, got, we sold the small boat and got a bigger boat. And mm-hmm. um, That took you a few years, though, right? That took us a few years. You it was a few years. sold the smaller years. boat and then saved, saved for a money, while. Saved money for a couple of years because we wanted to purchase a new boat outright. Boats are uh, a depreciating asset, so there's no <laughs> – you don't buy the boat to make money. Uh-huh. Um, so you – yeah, when we bought the boat, the bigger boat, um, 
saved more money so that we could continue to, to retrofit it and uh-huh. get it ready for the trip. And what kind of boat are we talking? How big I are had, we? We had a 38 foot, an Ericsson 38, a 38 okay. foot sailboat, which for the three of us, we have a nine year old son. He was eight when we left. Um, was a perfect size for the three of us for a trip. So we spent one year and we sailed to Mexico. Uh-huh. I spent eight months sailing around Mexico from mainland and up to the Sea of Cortez. And yeah, just had an amazing time and sailed the boat back home in July. Uh, and so, back a, to work in August. A full year. A full year. Three people living on a boat. Yes. Uh, did you drive each other crazy? Uh, surprisingly not. Um, it's It was very, like, I mean, it's a small space, but yet it's a huge space because you're on the ocean, but you leave, I mean, the cockpit, the cabin that we lived in down below was not large. Uh-huh. Um, but when you go outside, like the whole, you have the whole world as your backyard. You have this whole ocean. And so uh-huh. we were off the boat. It's not like we, there were maybe two or three days um, with bad conditions that we stay on the boat all day long. But for the most part, we were off the boat every day. We were snorkeling. We we're making uh, like new friends and exploring towns. Um, it it didn't seem small. It seemed huge. It actually seems much smaller. Like I feel very confined living in a house compared to living on the boat. Really? Yeah. Like it's. Uh, I yeah. I feel like because my world yard, has shrunk because the yard is way. fenced. The yard is fenced and it's in the same place every morning when I wake up. Like uh-huh. the house is still on my same street, <laughs> um, which is great. I love my street, but oh, the same view of the same hill. I know, but so there's something really magical about being able to kind of move your house. Like so, you're traveling. It's a way I've never traveled before, where I'm traveling with my house Uh um, with us and so every time you go someplace it's still at the end of the day like you're you know you move someplace different but it's you know still your place your bed that you're sleeping in every night and that was it was pretty awesome yeah it's a house that can move though all over the water and have these amazing experiences yeah and you were able to do that Mm -hmm. um, still as a teacher yes like you were teaching here at San Marin the year before you left Mm -hmm. and then you took a one-year sabbatical and now you've come back and are teaching again at San Marin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to move one classroom down the hall. I did. Um, so mild inconvenience. Uh, but like that's a pretty cool opportunity. It was um, the way our contract was set up was that you're allowed to leave for a year as long as the principal signs off on it. Um, and with one year, come back to your site. I think you can get a second year if the principal signs off, but then they can put you at any site in the district is the way the contract was oh, written. Oh, interesting. Um, so it was nice knowing that the job was waiting, especially as you're out sailing and not making any income for a year. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't know if we were going to be gone longer. We it was we had saved enough money to go for two years, but our son really missed the social aspects of living on land. Um, as much fun as... <laughs> social aspects of living on land. <laughs> living on, um, just he loves recess. He loves going to friends' houses what? in our neighborhood. He gets on his bike and just goes and hangs out with other kids. Um, uh-huh. So he has a lot of autonomy, whereas yeah. on the boat you know, there wasn't that same level and the same level of kids. It's like we didn't find one or two other kid boats, but, mm-hmm. um, and then we'd hang out with them for a week or two and then they would move on and we would move on. So you never had those long friendships that you get when you live in the same place for a while. Um, so we had a big family sit down in December of that year um, where we, you know, talked about if we were going to keep on going for a year and what that looked like. And and our son said, no, he really wanted to, to go home, that he was, that this was fine, but... He was, he was missing his friends and family, and he, he was, was, he was, was done. done. He was done living on a boat. He was done. He actually went home with my parents in June, so they, the, the trip home is the hardest part of the trip because uh-huh. you're going against wave and wind and current, and so he missed that part of the trip, and he was happy, 
happy to miss that part. Uh, for an eight-year-old, <laughs> for a nine-year-old, that seems like a reasonable choice. It was a great choice. Get to spend a month with grandma and grandpa. It was a great choice. He had a great time and we were able to sell a lot harder than uh-huh. we would normally sell with him on board. We would sell without stopping for days at a time on the trip home and we wouldn't have been able to do that in the same way if he was aboard. Yeah. And then go crazy. has that allowed you to like incorporate some of that into your classroom practice? Do you feel like taking that sabbatical has given you any benefit as a teacher? Um, it has, especially with marine biology, because a lot of times I'll talk about, I mean, when I start talking about birds, like I took videos that I'm going to be showing in class of that I used to find on YouTube because uh-huh. I've witnessed the things that I would tell the students about out on the wild or, you know, and, and I tell them stories every once in a while about, um, what it was like to live, um, on the boat. And they really, I think they enjoy hearing about it. Um, sometimes I feel like they're like, oh, Miss Howell's telling another boat story again. Uh, so, <laughs> so I try crazy, to moderate. Crazy lady on the boat I again. try to moderate it and not go too crazy on the boat stories. But um, I do incorporate it. And I think just the idea that, like, you, once again, you can take a little zigzag and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, you know, my job is still waiting. Curtis got a different job, but a job that he likes a lot. Um, so you can change things up. You, It's okay to, to do different things and it's okay to take a year pause and explore doing something that you really are passionate about, which is sailing and being on the ocean for us. Yeah. And I've got to imagine it kind of like refreshes you to come back into the classroom. It really made me miss teaching, honestly. Like I missed that interaction with students. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mean, I had one student, I had my third grader on board that yep. I boat schooled for the year. Um, but I miss that interaction with high school students. I really enjoy high school students. I enjoy their sense of humor. Um, and I, I miss having that impact. Like it just felt like as much fun as I was having um, on the water every day. I still, I wasn't making a difference. I wasn't contributing. Um, I was having a great time, but at the same, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I was making the huge difference that I um, try to make in the classroom. And so I really missed it. it. It made me want to come back. Yeah. That's how I kind of feel at the end of every summer mm-hmm. um, is like, if I do a good job planning my summer out, yeah. Um, I will have had the chance to like explore some new things and do some curious creative work uh, and to work a little bit on like school related stuff. But I also will have refreshed myself enough that I am like super excited and uh, the first day of school feels like, uh, you know, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does for me. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, it's, it's happening. <laughs> the kids are coming tomorrow. Um, and that's the case if I've given myself the mental break Mm -hmm. and the space to miss teaching. Yeah. Um, So like this summer, we did not have a year on a boat, um, (laughs) but we did spend two weeks in a van. Um, (laughs) We we bought our land yacht. Yeah. Uh, It was a 1999 (laughs) Ford E350, a 12-passenger van. And then uh, my wife and I took out the back seats and built a big king-size bed in there and then built a couple, uh, like, six-foot-long drawers so we can pull out 32 or 24 uh, cubic feet of drawer space. Um, And everybody has their own little space in there, and we've got all of our stove and uh, food and stuff. Uh, And we drove up the California and Oregon coast and just camped our way up the coast um, stayed in a place for a couple nights at a time. Um, and it was, I mean, obviously not nearly the extent or the coolness of your, uh, year on a boat, but a similar, smaller version of waking up and having a different outside 
and having a different backyard and like which beach are we going to play on today yeah. and what do we want to do and are we going to hit the forest or hit the beach or go for a swim or um you know except we're doing it with a seven-year-old a five-year-old and a two-year-old yeah so the hiking part was not so not, not quite as in-depth um but it was kind of an amazing refreshing time mm-hmm. just to reset yourself and then come back home and be able to say like oh i am ready for teaching yeah and I think giving yourself the space to do that allows you to be the best possible teacher you can. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a teacher and you're putting on 900 hours of performance a year, yeah, um, 180 days, five classes per day, and making sure that they are like on point and perfect, you want to be, I mean, A, they're not going to be perfect, no. <laughs> but as good as you can make them, yeah. you want to have the energy, you want to have the enthusiasm, and giving yourself the space to do that which it sounds like you were really able to do yeah. uh, with that sabbatical year is pretty spectacular. No, it was. I mean, it was really, it's a, it's nice to miss it and really enjoy what you're doing so that you want to come back and do it. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I definitely. That's definitely always my it. favorite part of traveling is the coming home part because <laughs> it makes you really appreciate coming home. It does. Like we were really happy to be back. Um like when we first got back. But then there's part, like, I'm a traveler at heart. Uh-huh. And so, like, it's, what is it, October? I'm uh-huh. ready to, you're, <laughs> I'm ready you're to ready, go. You're ready to pick up I'm again. I'm ready to go somewhere. Um, I can only stay in one spot for so long. So, uh, yeah, it was it was nice to be traveling for a whole year. Um, and it is. It's nice to come home. But I just, I like, well, I like living on the road. I get you. I'm really <laughs> glad to have you back. You can borrow my van anytime <laughs> in the summer. Uh, but we got to figure out a way to keep you <laughs> here in Novato at San Marin. We we'll get we'll get you in a nice new classroom, building a new <laughs> science building. Don't worry, man. We'll make it good. We'll make it good. <laughs> All right. So uh, Melissa Havel, marine biology biology uh, teacher here at San Marin High School. Thank you so much for coming on and oh, chatting a little bit about how to expand our classroom horizons. Look at field trips. Look at field study pieces and then maintain a healthy work-life balance. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course.